where do they make most of their money? You know, what's their, it's like saying Sky should should try and become the biggest broadband company in the UK and, and build fibre networks everywhere. Mm. And you've really got to commit yourself to it. Well, Sky's, it Sky's full circle back to our Rackerton thing as yeah, well. Yeah, Sky's nest egg is pay TV. That's yeah. what they're going to protect at all costs because if they lose that, then they're screwed. BT knows that if everybody switches to other infrastructure that's not BT's infrastructure, then they are basically out of business, yeah? Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. It's been ages since the last one, largely because I've been off on holiday in the Canary Islands. You look like is, you have as well. Thank you for noticing. I've, of course, wore the obligatory, I bet it was hot over there. the obligatory white T-shirt. It wasn't actually, it wasn't part of the sort of Mediterranean, oh my God, heat wave. It was just like late 20s. It was really oh, comfortable right. actually. Oh, okay. I know you'd think because it's on the same latitude as like Morocco. I, w- I was thinking about you thinking that you're probably frying in 40 degree heat. No, 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 it was pretty good. It, while, it was... while I was in a drizzly Slovakia. Right, was it? Was the weather not all I that? I mean, it's on average, to read the BBC News, you would have thought the whole of Europe was on fire. But actually, most of Northern Europe was really quite yeah. Like, cold. Well, I, um, I mean, I, I know because uh, my son didn't come with us. He's so grown up now, 19, he didn't come on holiday. Oh, right, OK. Uh, and, and nor did my dad. So they're both back in Hitchin and, and reporting on how shite the Yeah, I mean, was. Slovakia is normally at this time, it's about 30 degrees. And it was, I'd say on average, about 19, yeah, 18, 19 and, and raining quite a bit. So Isn't that yeah. weird? And then, and then a couple hundred miles south, it was like 40 degrees. Yeah, I know. Yeah. There's well, a jet stream, apparently. If you're north of the jet stream, it's crap. Yeah. If you're south of it, it's like everything's on God, fire. But this is one of the more sort of pronounced jet streams. Yeah, it's, well, it's partly this El Nino, which I don't really understand. This El Nino Oh, I was effect. listening to another pod. Sorry to interrupt. There was another, apparently another contributing factor, which is somewhere in the Pacific, one of the biggest underwater volcanoes ever recorded. Like a massive sort of Krakatoa level, oh, right. but underwater. Went off, and that as you would imagine, drives lots of water vapour into the atmosphere. And water vapour is actually a hell of a lot more effective um, greenhouse gas than CO2. Right. As you, you know, as, as you can tell by if it's a cloudy night, it normally stays quite temperate. Whereas if, like in the Sahara Desert, it gets freezing at night because there's no cloud to hold the heat in. So a volcano would explain why sea temperatures are higher than normal, which a lot of the reports were There was a lot of freaking out about that. Yeah, I don't know how over the course, course of the entire oceans of the world, how much even a huge volcano can affect it. But you'd think it would. If it's well, spewing out it, lava, it, that's a million degrees when, centigrade. When Krakatoa went off or whatever, it was like the whole, affected the whole city. Right, yeah, killed all the dinosaurs or something. Or was that before that? <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone was writing about it. Dinosaurs were there. Perhaps yeah, there's I mean, some cave paintings. But the, there's always a rush to sort of explain any phenomenon at all. Yeah. It has to be to do with climate change. And we've got El Nino, this weird jet stream that's like in a strange yeah, position. Yeah, now we've got that. And a volcano going yeah. off. There's, Near you know, Fiji. Like, um, okay, let's... There's just know. lots of stuff going. I know it is interesting. I was just chatting to Pierre before we started about a pod I was just listening to before we got here on on sort of um, nudge theory, uh, sort of uh, a a branch of social psychology where you don't tell people what to do, you just sort of insinuate thoughts into their heads. Um, and you do sometimes get the impression, and I'm not, I'm not writing off concerns about the climate. If the graphs say that the average global temperatures are a couple of degrees more than they were a couple of hundred years ago, then that's, that's noteworthy. Yeah. Um, how much of it is anthropogenic is still disputed. Um, and how much 
you know, me just riding a bike instead of driving, how much difference that's going to make is also disputed. Yeah. Especially as I haven't got a bike. <laughs> so I'd have to drive to the bike shop. Anyway. I just um, don't like the scaremongering about it. Yeah. Because it's, it's almost like, uh, well, what, what do you want us to do about it? You know, I mean, if, if it's as bad as the reports made it out to be that, oh, look at the situation we're in and, and it's disaster, it's ecological disaster, yeah. then the people who are sceptics, and I'm not, by the way, I, I, I do believe there's a, there's a man-made factor, but yeah. if you, if you're, it's almost like telling people they're idiots for voting for Donald Trump. You, you'll just pro you'll just prompt people. You'll provoke yeah. people to be even more stubbornly resistant to the idea. I think. Well, in my um, my from my sort of obsessive like civil libertarian point of view, any point of dogma can then be used as a platform from which to tell people what to do. So, like, there's an ultimate. You know, if, if I might as well go down this rabbit hole. It's been a month. Yeah. Um. Uh. You, there's there's also a trend going on right now for. Um. I mean, we know we've spoken about this on the pod where that time you couldn't pay for a pint with cash and you got the arsehole. Yeah. Well, now, I think NatWest announced that they're just not dealing with cash at all. Yeah. And so there's a slow creeping move towards cashless society. At the same time, there's a creeping move towards what they call central bank digital currencies, which are like central bank versions of Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, there's and a good book on it, by the way, called Cloud Money. Okay. About the merger of big tech and, and finance right. and, yeah, the, yeah. and the scrapping of cash and what the implications are. Right. So, so I like the fact that this guy's written a book because he's like an established, he's worked for a dot-com apparently and has worked in journalism as well. And, you know, he's a sort of big brain type character, mm. but you feel, you feel slightly vindicated for being in the pub and having a tizzy fit. When, I think when so. No, I mean, I, like that. I, um, I, I can't, I can't fault your, your indignation. Um, the only thing we might dispute is, is the utility of, of uh, venting it at the person serving the beer who has no say over it. Yeah, but that's what people have got to do, unfortunately. I suppose so. You because, got, because, otherwise, if you just take it lying down... Well, well, this is why it's very different, I think, outside London to inside London, because people in London just go along with things. Yeah. It's like, oh, what the hell? Whereas my dad and his mate, yeah, yeah. Wendover, they'll, 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 they'll have a real go at the bar. I think we had that anecdote in yeah. the last pod. Yeah, where, and, and where I they bet that's quite common in the home counties. So. Well, quite. And anyway, and, and you can see, if, if you go further down the rabbit hole and extrapolate it further, uh, you can see how... Um, that would create the platform for a social credit system yeah. where, you know, it might not be as it's been described in some parts of China where, you know, where you get docked social credit for, I don't know, saying something heretical about the Communist Party or about Xi Jinping, maybe comparing him to Winnie the Pooh. Not that I would ever, by the way, in case I go to China. Um, uh, but, you know, what if they suddenly start going, you get docked social credit for, for having too big a carbon footprint? Yeah. Or for or for or for exhibiting hate speech on social media. However, that is loosely defined. Not, not to mention the systemic risk. You know, if systems go down, that then, as well. Then we're over reliant on technology. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, that yeah, no one so understands. There's, there's lots of weird shit there. How do we get onto that? Oh, just a nudge. The nudge series. Yeah. So yeah, you can just see us getting nudged in certain what I consider quite dystopian directions. And I I um, acknowledge that I'm perhaps more twitchy than the average person about this stuff, but I don't think that means that I'm like a Tim Hatty conspiracy theorist. Yeah. I think it just means that I just I'm just alert to it, and I'm concerned. I think what it really comes from is it's it's a and um, while I was over with my family, I, I was reminded they make certain sort of sweeping observations about me that you can only get from your immediate family. And one thing I'm not very good at is being told what to do. Yeah, I'm very sort of compulsively independent, and so whenever I feel that something's getting set up that's going to have direct influence over me and effectively tell me what to do. Maybe that's why my little antennas start twitching. 
Anyway, um, so yeah, we've that. And, and Pierre, did you? You went to Sicily for a bit. Did you get major heatwave scenario there? So much they had to shave his beard off. Yes, uh, Pierre's, Pierre's was, now got no facial hair. Yeah, it was pretty warm, uh, like thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Yeah, that's, that's hot. But we were on the coast, so it's not. Did as you bad have as... uh, AC where you were staying? Oh yeah, yeah. Thank God. Okay, well that's all right, isn't it? Because yeah. then you just step out and go uh, hot, and then go back in. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> as long as you can sleep in the cold, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you used to that when when I was a kid, my dad lived in Miami and we used to go and visit him for the summer. Oh. And and you'd step out of you know, it'd be more or less constant AC from the plane to the tunnel into the airport to the whole airport. And then you step out into outside and it would just hit you. Yeah. Austin was like that. Yeah. Especially last year it was worse and was when yeah. it was up at forty. Yeah. And but you and you get the humidity in somewhere like yeah. Miami, I don't know if Austin's the same, you get the humidity which sort it's of doubles dry, the effect. Wasn't it, this year in Austin, actually. Well, apparently they had had storms before. Yeah. So it wasn't too bad. But yeah, it's hot. But everywhere's got air conditioning. Everywhere. Yeah. Any pub has got air con and you know so it's, it's not so... like here where no. where it goes really hot and we just can't deal with it. Yeah. You get a couple of fans on, don't you? Yeah. Propped by the door. I know. Or you do what I do did and, and leave the windows open when it's forty outside, which yeah. is obviously a stupid move. Um cool. That's that. Um so before we get into the actual telecom stuff that we're gonna talk about. Um, oh, and just to remind you, if you're watching this on the website or on Facebook or on YouTube, you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Um, Pierre, you were going to talk about who's been... Yeah, I'm trying to in. log in the website, but it's, oh, okay. it's, it's bugging. I don't know why. Oh, my God. What? SoundCloud? Yeah, it's logged me out. Come on, SoundCloud. Um, it's annoying. Okay. You, you, nothing springs to mind that you'd noticed before. No. Should we just make it up? <laughs> Who, who's been listening? I think I think uh, Outer Mongolia <laughs> has, has really been dialing in. Obviously, not many people. What would be interesting is to see what kind of a long tail we've got because we haven't published one for what is it? Nearly a month now? Is it a month? It's a twenty-eight days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see what kind of a long tail they have when we when we're not sort of republishing. No, yeah, they carry on. Um, but anyway, okay. So obviously, a lot has happened. While we've been away, I've been away for the longest. I had a three-week holiday because I'm just, I'm just mental. Um, uh, and so I've been catching up, but I have been writing for a week now. So You're I think for three weeks, really. Yeah, I still got, I've still got plenty of holiday left to use up. I only had a week off. Uh, I bet you still got loads of holiday left to use up. Yeah, I only well. had a week, something like that. I don't think I. Had well, that's yeah. that's one of the reasons I did it. On a three holiday is great. And by the way, I do recommend it because you got like like to get to Canaries, especially Lagomero, where my family lives. There's no direct international flight in there, so you have to fly into Tenerife South, then get a taxi from the airport to the ferry port, then get a ferry over, and then drive another sort of half an hour or so over these mountain roads to get to um, Santiago, where my family lives. And so it's basically oh, and and our flight, God, it was mad. Our flight left at seven in the morning. Yeah. Ooh. So you'd think, all right, we've got to get up at uh, like four in the morning yeah. or earlier just to make it happen. Um, and then you'd think, well, at least the airport would be quiet at that time. Far fucking from it. Oh, yeah. Place was rammed. So you're in Stansted. Go... Stansted at six. No, oh. yeah. We, we had the it's same thing. Ours was at seven. Yeah. Going What's going on? Yeah. We had to get to Luton. Yeah, well, I live quite near Luton, so it's yeah, all right for me. Yeah, yeah, no, Luton's a, a result. It's like a 40 quid taxi ride, which you, is fine for the whole family. So your son didn't go at all? No. He just, he just he thought, just I don't want to go. Yeah. Fair enough. He's like got the t-shirt. Yeah, Rafa's done that before in the yeah. past. 
he did come with us this time for a few days and then he left earlier than the rest of us because he had to go to Spain for a tournament. Oh, okay. How'd he do? He got to the final. Nice one. Yeah. He lost in the final, did he? Yeah, apparently he was like... Well, so yeah, otherwise he would have said were, he won. Uh, yeah, that's a good people, point. <laughs> people were collapsing because it was so hot, like right. with cramp and like... Uh, right. You okay. know, when we saw Alcaraz playing in the French Open, yeah. it was 40 degrees they were playing in. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, they had to move the times of the matches okay. to the evening. Well, well, but, uh, well done, Rafa. Yeah. Rafa Jr. for getting mm. to the final. Um, okay, so anyway. Um, so what we are going to chat about, I mean, it's mainly stuff that's gone on this week, which stands to reason. Um, there's a couple of developments that came out of uh, the giant Japanese company, which um, which um, telecoms is just part of what it does, but obviously yeah. the part we focus on. It's actually the main part in a way. Is it? Okay. Well, it's become the main part because it's such a burden on it. Right. Okay. Well, we'll 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 drill down into in that. Four one. and a half years. Their losses, their net losses at group level, amount to five and a half well, you're, billion you're kind dollars. Preempting a whole bit, aren't you? Lie <laughs> me. Um, have some discipline here, Ian. For God's sake. <laughs> so it's been a long time. I've forgotten the format. <laughs> four A's. You let me tee it up, and then you start banging on. That's the format. Um, so so yes, obviously we're going to talk about their general performance, but then there's also an extra bit of spice to be thrown in there, which is one of their most prominent um, senior execs called Tarek Amin, just suddenly left. Um, and so we'll just have a little look at that. We don't know that much. We might just do a bit of casual speculation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we'll talk about them, even though, you know, we don't often focus on on either non-Western European or US stuff. So I think it's quite good to focus on something that's that's primarily... Japanese, although I mean the part of it um, that Tarek Amin was heading up um, was was global because it's their open ran sort of we'll we'll do your open ran for you yeah. division called Symphony. So we can talk about that. Um, the last podcast we did, um, we spoke about how we'd just been out for dinner with BT, and and that coincided with their announcement that their CEO is going to call it a day. Um, but quite an orderly transition. In fact, you know, again, I, I've just criticised you for for burying the lead and jumping the gun. But I, I think it'll be a contrast between how Philip Janssen leaving their game. That's all cool. We know he's going. He's hanging around for a while. We'll make sure we will find someone else, and there'll be a lot of handover. Whereas Tarek Amin, they, it's like a sort of footnote going, "Oh yeah, and by the way, this bloke's leaving," which I thought was interesting. Um, so they got a new CEO, and then also you've been out um, larking about with BT this week. Yeah. And so you're going to tell us a little bit about that. last week. And Vodafone. Well, by all means, mention that as well. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to finish off. I wrote a bit this week. Um, USA, President Biden has declared a national emergency. And you'd think, fuck, what's going on? The national emergency is Chinese technological development. Anytime they make any breakthrough anytime some bloke in a lab coat steps out of a smoky room and shouts eureka or whatever the chinese well, equivalent of that is uh, yeah yeah um that is apparently a, an imminent and extraordinary threat to american national security well, that's the topic in Oppenheimer, the movie oh is it okay yeah, yeah i haven't seen that most just people rate it quite highly hour on that and it's just too long right is it good though it's good it's just an hour too long because they an hour is dedicated an hour to like too long. It's quite, conspiracy. It's quite appropriate because most people think this podcast is about an hour too long. No, yeah, okay. But when you go to a movie, you don't want an hour of people talking in their small room like this, right. argue, arguing. For an hour. For an, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that's no good. <laughs> um, I might not bother seeing it then. No, and, good, and meanwhile, good. breaking box you, office records is Barbie the movie. I've no interest in seeing no, that. No, but my 16-year-old daughter does. 
I'm sure. I'm just determined I'm, I'm, that I'm, I will not be roped I'm, into it. I'm slightly it. stunned that that film's taken off as much as it has. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you can see there's like to get there's the a 16 year old girl audience. There's probably a broader audience of let's say I'm not going to be too specific people who like camp, sort of, you yeah. know that sort of stuff, uh, ultra feminized stuff maybe. Yeah. Um, and then fuck knows who else, but um, there's you know there's a lot of teenage girls and pre-teenage girls in the world. Yeah. And and they drag their families in there, isn't it? Oh, there's probably true. a there's probably a whole there's constituency a of, of dads. There's a lot of dads. Who are like I'm uh, never going to be able to unsee that. Well, they they've just dozed off. Yeah. They've, they've had a look at Bar Margot Robbie. <laughs> and, and then they've dozed off for a bit. They went, they've gone up further in Wolf of Wall Street and then dozed off. Okay. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about that um, to finish off. So let's start. Um, what was it? Reckoning? Look, Ian, you, you wrote a good piece on Tarek Amina. In fact, I'll cue it up myself just with my, with my sort of more dilettante take on it because I didn't even write it up for us, but I did read their press release. But then, you know, you, you covered it a day before we did. You, you obviously had some interaction with them and you've also been looking at their quarterly. So you're, you're far more qualified than I am to talk about this. The only thing I'll say is, <clears throat> as I just alluded to um, in the intro, I read the press release about this succession and there was lots of talk about the new person, whose name I forget, but you'll probably remember. And there was just the most fleeting reference to Tarek Amin, who... who Outside of what's he called, Mickey Mikitani or something like that? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah outside of the overall Hiroshi, boss. but they adopt a they go anglicised name, don't they? To... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've noticed actually talking to um, some colleagues uh, within Informa that people from uh, Russia, Ukraine, that part of the world, sometimes anglicise their first names. Yeah, as well. George uh, or something. Yeah, exactly. Georgi or something. Yeah, uh, there was someone called um, Ekaterina who goes for Kate. And you can see that. That's yeah. like a, and apparently that is an abbreviation they use in Russian as well. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that happens. And it happens like in China a lot, you know. And yeah. if you notice, like in China, they'll often pick quite obscure first names. They do, They're yeah. not just Dave. Yeah. It's not sort of Dave Wong. He'll <laughs> call Eugene or something. Um, anyway. Um, or Sabrina. Yeah, exactly. Sabrina. <laughs> no one's called Sabrina. That's not obscure. Uh, well, it's not common though, is maybe it? Maybe it's more common in France. It seems like a sort of German name. It seems like a crop yeah. up in Germany a bit. Mm. Yeah. Don't get many English Sabrinas though. Apart from Sabrina and the Waves from the 80s. Walking on Sunshine? Oh yeah, it? I remember Walking on Sunshine. That was a Eurovision Song Contest, wasn't it? There we go. That was the last, that's the last recorded Sabrina <laughs> in the UK. Um, so yeah, and that was it. That, the only thing, you know, I mean, we part of what we do as journalists especially if we're just going on a press release and we can't we haven't got round to actually doing some proper journalism it's kind of read the tea leaves in a in a public because you know when you send out a press release it's normally something that's been agonized over and it's something you know there will be some clues into what's going on behind the scenes and and what i took as a clue was the incredibly cursory reference to Tarek Amin given how central he's been to the fortunes of Rakuten on the mobile side. So for people who don't know, Rakuten's also got like an Amazon-like e-commerce bit. Yeah. It's, it's also got um, content and all that sort of thing going on. So it's like Amazon It's like Amazon got into mobile, basically, but but within largely within Japan. Um, and anyway, so I'll, I'll hand it over to you now, Ian. I, I just got the impression from that. You can tell us what the stated reasons were for him leaving, but my... My conjecture from such a cursory reference to him, there's none of the glowing, oh my God, he's he's been so great type of stuff that you normally expect, at least in the initial press release. 
uh, just made me think that maybe he didn't leave on the best of terms. But, you know, what do you think? Um, I think there may be something in that, for sure. I, I agree with you. I think that you look at the... Um, you know, normally when someone leaves a company and and they give sort of personal reasons for doing it, which is what the sort of official explanation yeah. was, and his explanation, by the way, as well, um, you get you get this sort of oh, we're you know, Tarek joined in, so, yeah, so exactly. did this. this is like a bit of a testimonial, sort of isn't valedictory it? Valedictory, yeah, thing. And um, <clears throat> and the, what it's true, there was none of that. In fact, it wasn't even immediately clear. I don't think from the thing they put out in the in the morning on Monday, quite early. Um, that he completely left the the group. It was because it was skirted over so mm. quickly. They said, we've got like, a new person doing that. We've got this new structure and this is how it works now. And then you immediately notice he's not involved. And I had to go to them and say, is he completely out? Did you just know? forget. <laughs> um, and they were like, yeah, he's he's basically left for family reasons. And then he put his own LinkedIn post up, which I didn't see actually until, this, I think it was later in the week it went up anyway, but he put up a big post on LinkedIn saying how much he'd enjoyed his time there, but it was right. time for him to focus on things that mattered to him more, which is yeah. the children that he'd implying that he'd not really, ha you know, because he'd been so committed. To right. He's a bit we, of a workaholic. Basically. And we should stress and, that that we don't know what's going on and no. maybe one of his kids is ill or whatever. And and if so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be mischievous. All no. I'm all I'm doing is 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 interpreting that press release by itself and, and the lack yeah, of totally. reference. And, and I don't know what his I I I, put, I actually know nothing about him really personally, other yeah. than I think he's from Jordan, and so he's obviously he's not he's not Japanese. He's not living in the country that he's from. He's right. a very international kind of guy. I think he studied in Portland. But he, he might have just got to that stage where there. his missus but, has gone. Look, yeah, I don't, don't know where his know family are. I don't know like. whether they've been with him in 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 Japan or whether yeah. he's doing this on a sort of like they they'd stay behind and he'd gone to work there. I, I really don't know so um i think there's probably quite a lot in that that he that he maybe was getting to the stage of thinking mm. i need to go home just fair uh, enough i mean that could have been the case with jansen as well yeah however i totally agree it's you know um and this also was interesting on the call that they had the results call was only a few days later in the week it's like yesterday morning actually yeah. we're doing this on a friday it was thursday morning yeah and um so i got on that thinking well this is going to be interesting because there's a lot of speculation also actually when he went i noticed i didn't i mean i put some conjecture in the piece i wrote about how rackison was doing and what what it might mean for the, for them with him leaving but there were people i think in the analyst community coming out and saying maybe this signals um you know that, that they're stepping back from some of the stuff they've done with him you know that, that their telecom ambitions are um, you know, they're curtailed. not being curtailed, exactly. You know, and I know there's been speculation in the analyst community before then about them possibly having to sell the Rakuten mobile network at some point because it's such a drag on the on the company. Yeah. Well, if um, this isn't if this isn't hastening you hastening you in that direction too much, um, it might be relevant to talk about to flesh out that how much of yeah, a drag it so, is. So, I mean, they've already had to do various things like listing bits of the business and selling shares in Rakuten Group. Um, right. There's a bit called Racket and Bank, and there's a bit called Racket and Securities that are being IPO'd. Um, all this is really to do with, with with finding funding to be able to 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 stay afloat because they've racked up so much in net losses in the last few years. All From because, the mobile, or, yeah. Before 2019, when they started doing this, they were a relatively small compared with Amazon, which they get likened to. Yeah, e Japanese e-commerce company. So they're restricted just to Japan. 
No, well, they have a platform that you could get on your smart TV. Of course, yeah, any, any, TV anything stuff, so, and anything online. But, is the, potentially but I think international. most of the business is in Japan. Yeah, but it's 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 fairly substantial. It's a hundred million, I think, people they say are part of the Rakuten community. Those are the figures they were putting out before the the telecom stuff, and it's. You know, it's banking services, it's cashless stuff, it's... The classic modern it's electronic totally, sort of Totally, business. I mean, it does get likened to Amazon, but it's not really a titan like Amazon is. It's much, much smaller scale than Amazon. And seems a little bit more uh, diverse, though. And a, maybe a bit that. more diverse. It has yeah. lots of things in its ecosystem. I mean, one thing that they, that kind of, I didn't cover at all, actually, this week, but is almost a separate story, is a deal they've done with OpenAI this week. Okay. Um, which does actually could involve the telecom side of things. I mean, I'll put open it, like, as a chat GPT. Open a, they've done a deal with chat GPT about sharing some of their data and trying right. to use its large language model and all that stuff. And, you know, there was, there was talk about using that in the, in the telecom operation even, which is a, a theme that seems to be coming up increasingly the, the whole generative AI in telecom and how it might influence that. I mean, we, we went to an Omdia session on that, but, uh, yeah. but, go, but going back to the, the telco stuff, I mean, they, they were they were a profitable business before 2019 went into this um you know mickey the story is mickey mikitani or hiroshi mikitani whatever you want to call him saw what um it's a bit annoying of him to pick an anglicized name that's almost exactly the same as his son well i think that's pretty what he's done it isn't yeah but it? that's annoying but, you shouldn't have done that man <laughs> i think he saw what um impact uh reliance geo had had in india and um yeah where this operator came where along. Where mean yeah, had, very had much played so. a big role. Yeah, so, so the story there is the Indian market was uh, very, very com overly competitive, very fragmented, lots of lots of different circles, different regions of the country, um, infrastructure, very old-fashioned, I think, you know, hadn't rolled out some tech. Reliance Industries comes along, which is a massive conglomerate with billions to spend, backed by Mukesh Ambani, you know, one of India's richest men. And... Uh, rides into the market, you know, and builds a completely new mobile network, which Tarek Amin was in charge of the rollout of this sort of yeah, strategy on the technical really well. side. And it's gone, and it went from being a new them. entrant to now being, I mean, it's, that is like a just ridiculous story. Shitting on everyone. It now. was nowhere, and it's now the number one company yeah, yeah. in the world. And I think he possibly thought, let's try and do a similar thing in a developed market. Mm. And who am I going to hire? I'm going to hire the guy who did it in India. Can't argue with that. Yeah, and, and it's going to be even more state-of-the-art than what Reliance Geo did. We're going to take advantage yeah. of different difference yeah. being that you know I don't want to be too uh, bordering on sort of slanderous, but you got the impression that Reliance Geo, let's say, wasn't hindered by the Indian state. Well, in its so I think I think the the comparison with India was always a bad one anyway. You know, I mean, for a start, there was a lot of favoritism towards um, Reliance Geo, I think, on the part of the Indian government. Yeah, so you've been no, slightly less cautious than I have. On I, I, I wouldn't be cautious about it at all. I think <laughs> right, they, okay. they gave them a massive leg up and they were very, very uh, hard on foreign investors, and particularly Vodafone, yeah. made life very uncomfortable. And just for gave them. out national licenses where they were quite thin on the ground. Yeah, and, and, and uh, went, you know, and, and there was a huge amount of favouritism, I think, towards Reliance Geo. That's the impression um, I got um, In terms of some of the regulatory decisions that were being taken, right, uh, sort of, right down to the level of sort of things, basic things like interconnect rates even, yeah. you know. And um, so that was one factor. I think the Indian market was due to be disrupted it was they hadn't even launched 4G. I think a lot of the companies at the time, and they had these sort of state-run regional. They had state-run regional, ones quite called, inefficient. Called I don't think their quality was particularly good. Yeah. It's incredibly price sensitive. This is the other thing about the Indian market. So if you go in there with a 4G offer when no one's offering 4G and say you can have this for free for six months, which I think they did, 
They did a similar thing to the sort of thing Rakuten's done. Yes, they did. Just total giveaway. Total giveaway. And then we'll put the price up, but it's still going to be quite low cost. And by that stage, you've just got tons of skint Indians going, well, I'll have some of that. Yeah. Um, And and a lot of that stuff just doesn't translate to Japan. You know, it's uh, for for a start. It's almost, you could say, an opposite market in terms of maturity. Yeah. I mean, they they have some of the most technologically sophisticated network. I mean, there's this impression that Rakuten gives that it's building this state-of-the-art network. Um, taking advantage of all these whizzy new technologies and and things that are around and nobody else in Japan's doing that is a little bit wrong anyway, I think. You know, I mean, Entity like Dokomo... SoftBank and KDTI and Dokomo are, are like archaic. Uh, totally. I mean, for sure, they're older companies and they have legacy systems to maintain, like 2G and 3. I mean, actually, probably they've shut down some of those platforms, but they've had that legacy estate that there's the sort of thing BT would have to wrestle with. Yeah. And they've they've got huge workforces because they've grown out of what originally would have been state-backed involvement, you know, back in the days when everybody had the state involved in the rollout of telecom networks. They clearly come from that sort of background, the likes of NTT Docomo, and, you know, it's a huge company and there's probably inefficiencies in there that you wouldn't get if you're building a greenfield operator from scratch today. But at the same time, NTT Docomo is heavily involved in standards development. It's involved as one of the, regarded as one of the most cutting-edge 5G operators, I would think, in the world, you know, as as are the other companies. Um, well, East Asia on the whole has been know, ahead of the curve. China, Korea, completely. Japan. They're, I mean, op- you talk Korea, about Open RAN, you know, which is this thing that Rakuten very much gets associated with, and I actually think that's a little bit wrong anyway. I don't think they're necessarily into Open RAN as much as people make them out to be. I think they're more about um, just telco transformation generally, taking advantage of software in the network, virtualization, cloudification. I think it's a much so bigger just a lot issue of a, for them. A broader basket of current yeah, telco best practice. Totally, rather you know. than just the open RAN thing. But open RAN, strictly speaking, was being used very heavily by NTT Docomo okay. already when when Rakuten came along. They've right. they've more than any other operator in the world, they made a big deal of buying their radios separately from, from the baseband using inf- yeah. infrastructure that, they, that you use to sort of process the signals. And they've been doing that for quite a long time in the 4G days. So, and then the other thing is that the Japanese aren't very price sensitive. They're quite happy to spend a lot of money on technology. The consumers. Yeah, the consumers. And they don't move very easily. So this is the problem they've had is trying to persuade people to shift to right. to, to them has been really, really hard. Whereas the Indians were quite, and, I, and probably some of it's to do with the fact that India's like a heavily prepay market. You know, you're in a contract. And there are big demographics as well. Like I think uh, Japan's quite a relatively elderly country, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, so, they've, so the big problems they've had um there's a lot of there's a lot of things that just didn't really translate from that model and consequently the other thing i would say is i think they underestimated how much it was going to cost to build a network in fact they did underestimate how much right. it would cost because they ended up having to change their plans a couple of years ago and say is we there need any to invest excuse a lot for more that? money i mean isn't isn't the data available I suppose it's I, difficult to calculate how what it costs to do it from scratch. There isn't a lot of. Precedent. I mean, one one of the problems they they they've got, which has been quite neglected, I think, in some of the uh, press coverage, um, is they they don't have low band spectrum, yeah. And one of the issues they they've had in trying to attract people to the network and and sign up customers is if you don't have low band spectrum in a city like Tokyo, where everybody uses their phones on subways and inside buildings and in skyscrapers. Yeah. And what does higher band spectrum not do a very good job of? You're saying just Rakuten doesn't have low band? Rakuten doesn't have any low band spectrum. Right. Shit. All so, the other operators do. So you're, what, so you're saying like sub two gigahertz? 
it, sort of sub one gigahertz. It doesn't have any right. sub one gigahertz spectrum. So their big problem has been, and this only came out really the, how much of a problem this was this year in the first quarter, is that customer perception of quality, and I don't mean download speeds, I don't mean anything to do with using open RAN can't deliver the same yeah. gigabits per second as using traditional gear. On that, on those measures, the, the sort of stuff that Open Signal does, you know, when they do these uh, analyst uh, presentations about how operators stack up, they actually come out looking really good. Right. But when it comes to just being able to get a basic signal to make a phone call in Tokyo on your way home on the subway, or use your phone to do whatever else people do, their their, their perception. You look at the Twitter feed of what people think of Rakuten Mobile. And it's shite. bloody awful. Whatever Japanese for sure. And that's is. one of the reasons why in in three years' time or whatever it's been, when did they launch? Maybe I am maybe overestimating what it is, two and a half. They've managed to sign up. Been around pre pre the Great Plague. Few, fewer than five million people. Right. In a mar in a market of 126 million people where market yeah. leader NTT Docomo has got 80 million subscribers. They've good, they've ma they've managed to capture five million. Sub idea. And they've tried they've did done various things to do with bundling services and lowering prices and announcing new tariffs and none of it's really worked. And the one key thing that they hope will turn their fortunes around was two things. One's a new roaming deal they did with KDDI, which they which to gives help them, their coverage problem. Gives them access to yeah. K... Whereas they didn't have this before, it gives them access to, to KDDI sub one gigahertz spectrum. Yeah. And that's due to come into effect really soon. But that'll be a drain on their bottom line, won't it? They'll have to pay. Well, apparently it's under better financial conditions than the old roaming agreement, okay. they say. Maybe the, um, um, maybe the regulator got involved and went, oi. Possibly. And then the other thing is the release of what in Japan gets called platinum band spectrum, which Ooh. is 700 megahertz and adjacent sort of bands to that which is due to happen before the end of this year. So they've got and some 700 that's just not been doshed out? They they have lower band spectrum that hasn't been awarded, oh. which Rakuten's hoping so to... He's been nicked off TV or something. I, I don't know the story, but the, but if they can get hold of this platinum band spectrum as it gets cold, called, um, and that there's a decision due to be made on that in the next few months... Right then they can deploy uh, services on that and that would uh, you know that would provide then a long term alternative to relying on KDDI as a roaming partner yeah and that's where you get into one of the fun things we've spoken about spectrum auctions before um but you will get you'll get people who don't even need the spectrum yeah um bidding on it just to drive the price up for the yeah I, I don't know what the process for is for it i don't even know if it's an auction process right. to be honest with you i don't know i don't know how it's being awarded because the it gets talked about in earnings reports and updates like the one this week but it's very unclear how this process works there seems to be a consultation with the government going on at the moment about it about what to do so so, um, so the long, long and short of it is bracket and mobile yeah is not looking great yeah so so here's the so, most recent numbers i seem to remember and and we will i might be slightly accelerating and butting in um but just while i think of it um it's Specifically, Symphony, which was which is the bit where they um, act as an outsourcing partner for yeah. for Open RAN rollouts, especially. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Which which Tarek Amin was ahead of. Um, that I think was something like down fifteen percent or eighteen percent. Was it? Yeah, that's sales, but they're not a drag on resources. No, that's a good point. So 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 the losses that they've racked up, and it's by the way, it's five and a half. I worked it out. It's five and a half billion in four and a half years. Right. Five and a half billion dollars of losses. So uh, now I don't know what a I, I, I'd have to go back to my story, and I'm not going to be able to do that now in terms of what their revenues yeah, no are. But it's we don't need to get to my you know, issue. They're not a massive company. They're not. A, they're not a company that that, that generates what. Um, 
you know, Amazon does, you know, which they no. compared to a lot. And, so and, a lot of money. and there's a lot of concern about um, how they how are they going to carry on funding this network rollout? And, um, you know, now uh, the, 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 the plus side for them, I would say, is that their losses are narrowing. Um, and and yeah. customer numbers are going I up very slowly. But they but the only reason they're narrowing is because they've been really aggressive on cost cutting recently. I see. So it's not so because their revenues are going up. It's not really because revenues are going up dramatically. It's more to do with with chopping into costs. Now I think some of that comes because they've built so many base stations now that they yeah, there should the, be a natural capex. There's, there's a, there's a natural up. capex. Yeah. It, you could say there's a bit of concern about so this platinum band spectrum gets awarded 700 megahertz, whatever it is. Does that then trigger another big investment cycle? Well, they say no. They say they can actually deploy that on the base stations they've got. They yeah. can use software updates. Because that's the whole it. point of them using this cutting-edge, state-of-the-art. And they own their own software, everything. unlike other operators. I don't know any other example of an operator. Maybe someone can no. watch the podcast and tell me, but what other operator owns its own network software? Good point. They, so, they, so they don't have to pay licensing fees to someone like Ericsson or Nokia for that. So they can. So they say that the capex investment that needs to be made to to be able to deploy on 700 megahertz is not very substantial. They've cut their capex forecast for the next few years, um, but that sort of begs questions: well, Why are you planning on spending so much before? What was it all intended to go on? Mm. You know, what, what was the what was the intent? Where we, this three? I mean, it's gone down significantly as well. It was like four billion they were planning to spend in the next three years, and they've cut it to 2.2 billion. And it's like, well, what was that 1.8 billion meant to go on? Then? Yeah, that is now not. That, that you're now, you know, they've got this deal with KDDI, right? But surely that's a temporary fix. That's not a long-term solution. And you're going to deploy on 700 megahertz, but you say that's low cost. So what's the? Where was the rest of the money going to go? And I, I did say that in my story. It's not clear right. where. But they've, the, um, but the I losses reckon they've are, cut the tuna out of the sushi. They're just going salmon only. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the, the the real problem for them, to be honest, is is customer growth. They they have a they have a, a path to break even that they revealed in the slide pack, and they reckon with costs down at where they are now, more or less, um, which is I wouldn't even know what it is in dollars, but they're on about twenty. They're spending about twenty four billion Japanese yen per month, and at that level of ex, of network ex, of network expenditure each month. They reckon they can break even if they've got between eight and ten million subscribers, mm -hmm. but they only have four point nine million subscribers That's at the still moment. A bit of a jump, and, and then the, the graph growth, of subscribers. Right. So if you look yeah. at how many they're getting each month, uh, they're getting about hundred thousand a month. So that's one. That's one point two million a year, right? Yeah. So it's going to take them about two and a half years to get to eight million. Of burning more wedge. Of burning more wedge and just trying to get up to that eight minutes. So unless the unless this deal with KDDI or or the award of seven hundred megahertz makes some massive difference to to their kind of customer numbers, they've got a long period to go where they're still kind of racking up losses. Yeah. Really, I mean it's it's narrowing, but it's not it's not brilliant. So moving it back, um, circling back to Tariq Amin, do we think? I don't think yeah. this is any of his fault. No, no, I don't think it's his fault, but he could be a bit of a fall guy or. There could have just been a disagreement between him and and Metal Mickey, yeah, um, over over what to do about this situation. It could have been, yeah. I mean, I the the, the thing is, I, I got on the call almost expecting something a bit more dramatic to be said because you know when a change like that, and I said some analysts were speculating that maybe him going, they were going to go, well, we've had to think about the mobile stuff, and yeah. I mean, I didn't think that. I didn't think they were going to say we're quitting it, but I thought yeah. there might be you know, some. Well, fuck this. I, it wouldn't have surprised me if they said we're selling a stake in it or something, you know. Or, yeah. 
But there's, you know, or, or I don't know, some something quite dramatic. Something and, to, to sort of free uh, up a bit of And cash. there was nothing on, on no. uh, of that nature. Uh, I mean, I my, my feeling is probably that there's a bit of truth in what you said and also the explanation that's come out of Tarek and the company that he probably did have some personal reasons to want to, to leave and move on. But, but I, I think there was probably also a bit of friction between him and Hiroshi Mikitani, who wasn't overly complimentary about him. Right. when he was quizzed on it in the call. Right. Because some, one of the journalists, and I don't, those calls, I do, I do get on them very early in the morning, UK time. And you're on with a bunch of Japanese reporters who, it's, it's all on translation. And I've tried like putting questions in before and they've never really got answered. So these days I just sort of listen in. But one, one of the journalists really went after him he said, this sounds like there's a leadership crisis. From like the Japanese... Yeah, someone like Yoshimura Shimbun or whatever it's called, the newspaper. Right. One guy said, it sounds to me like um, there's a bit of a leadership crisis going on. You know, you've lost this guy. He was obviously a bit of a, a figurehead in that yeah. telco world in up. terms of telco transformation. blah de blah de blah And the stony-faced sort of Mickey Mikitani kind of went... And he was commenting on the new guy, by the way. He's called Sharad Srivastava. He was the CTO at um, Rakuten Mobile. I think retains that job title, but he's also yeah. now co-CEO as well as CEO, I think. Correct. Yeah. So um, he basically said, in some ways, we've got more operational strength and it could be a positive thing for us. He so didn't say anything positive at all about... Um, about Tarek, the only positive comments came from the COO, who, who said we appreciate his yeah. efforts. But sounds like Mikitani has put himself in a real sort of um, Caesar-like position. He's the group chairman and CEO of Rakuten yeah. Group. Well, he's and like now all these he's guys, become, though, isn't he? He's now like... he's become chairman and CEO of Rakuten Symphony as well. So it, it feels like he's, he's the guy just... who's head of SoftBank. Masayoshi Son. Exactly. I mean, they're, they're quite big egos, these people, aren't they? And, and yeah, actually, not... I was just thinking of another comparison with, with SoftBank and, and seeking to make a generalisation about these Japanese companies. They don't I, don't, mind... I don't just mean Japanese guys no, no, but, in but, position, but these but... They, they both happen to be Japanese. Yeah. They don't mind going off in some other random direction. Like Son seems to spend most of his time, especially now that he um, oversaw the the merger of Sprint, and um, which was owned by largely owned by SoftBank, wasn't yeah. it, Sprint in and Timo in the UK, in the US, um, he's now spent the last few years just being obsessed with with just sort of really heavy investments. Yeah. He's, he's more concerned. Well, he, he's a much lower profile figure than he used to be because I think he's lost any of his cachet that he used to have. He's like, lost he, a lot of money on uh, his investments. Pip, I, don't think, I don't think people look at him as... There was a, there was a, 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 a time when he had a reputation now. as someone who made really canny investments. I think it was Warren all to Buffett do with one type. thing, that he was an investment in Alibaba, wasn't it, that he'd made? Yeah, really early. And then really early. Worth tons of and money. And nothing else he's ever put anything into has actually been that No, he that seems great. to have been playing... So he seems to have decided to go off and play at the Global Equity Casino. Yeah. Um, and hasn't come out too well. Yeah. Um, he's going to end up being like someone in like the Hangover films. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then you wonder, I don't know anything about Mekitani, but he's, he's obviously decided if you want something done properly, you've got to do it yourself. But now he's got no, and, and maybe he's right. Well, I but now he's, got he no, now he's got nowhere to hide because he's like CEO of fucking everything in the whole group. I mean, I, I, I think um, the, if they wanted to carry on doing this, I mean, I think, I, to be honest, I think the whole premise was flawed. To, the, this idea of building a greenfield network in a country like Japan, 
And yeah. uh, oh, if we use cloud software, open RAN technologies, we can make a killing. I think was just a really mistaken way to look at it's it. Hard to argue with you on that. And um, and then in terms of the symphony business, which I'm not convinced that was ever in the original plans anyway. I think that was more of a oh, the the, the network of homes and maybe not doing that great. Can we find another business angle? Yeah, th there's here? a slightly nicer angle to put on the symphony business, which is look at something like AWS. Yeah. Um, Amazon never set out to be a public cloud provider, but it happened by virtue of being um, the world's dominant e-commerce, or at least the, the West's dominant e-commerce player, happened to have this enormous inventory of servers. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's one of these opportunistic things where I thought, hold it, on a sec, we've got all this. How? What are other ways in which we can monetize it? And so the, yeah. the kind of way to look at Symfony is like, look, we've got all this IP, we've got all this expertise. How can we... Yeah. I agree. I think they're it. both opportunistic, but the difference is, I think when Am when Amazon did it, it was it was doing well and it was positive opportunism. Whereas I think this in this case, it's kind of, of desperate. Of like let's try and let's try and find another way of making money. I mean, from chats that I've just had in the office before we came in, I get the impression like Symphony's not doing brilliantly, right? You know, um, and. You know, its revenues were down. You, you just commented on that, the drop in second yeah. quarter the year earlier. They had a big boost in the fourth quarter of last year, and it looked like maybe there was a, a kind of like... Maybe a, that was just a one-off deal win, like one-on-one. One I mean, the, the, the trouble with the nature of that business is you book a deal and, you know, and you you, you can, you know, you, you, you realise some revenues initially up front, don't you? And then the next, you know, next quarter, there isn't a corresponding thing. So And the one-on-one -on -one thing had that... It's quite choppy. Had um, that, it didn't go so well, and and there was fingers pointed at, at Vantage Towers. But but they've got two problems, Symphony. I think one is the whole RAN market at the moment. In fact, not just the RAN market, the whole telecom equipment sector is in a disastrous position at the moment, right? What do you you, you, you mean? Covered, sort of macro cyclical. You, you cover like, Ericsson, Nokia results. Cisco. No, I've been on holiday. I've forgotten everything. I mean, nobody's spending any money. Basically, yeah, yeah. there's a massive no, and, downturn and even, going. In an even broader macro way. I, I just know that the state of things in the, general the, is a bit shit. The, the, basically, what's happened is, I mean, the biggest the biggest drop drop has been in North America, which is actually the most profitable market for the likes of Ericsson and Nokia. And the carriers, they just aren't spending any money at all at the yeah. moment. They're making do with existing inventory that they built up, like in, in sort of lockdown years, and they're cutting budgets and they're yeah. just not spending. And there's a general sense, um, um, I was listening to a podcast where they're talking about the, just the broader macro sense. And people are just like, you know, you know how the big thing in business is uncertainty. When there's uncertainty, people don't spend because they're yeah. like, let's see how it's going to go. Yeah. No one wants to be the dickhead who sticks their neck out and then the wind blows the other way. I mean, the, the sector, I hate to say it because we, we're in this and it affects us, but the, the telecom sector is in an awful state at the moment. It really is. It's in a God. terrible state. You know, you've so, got this, I hope you enjoy this podcast. You, you've, it's going to be a last one. You've got this one. other thing that's gone on, and I don't know if you were on holiday when this came out, but this big Wall Street Journal investigation into lead, lead, lead used in... No. Um, Oh, well, that's, that's I mean, you, me. you've missed like possibly the biggest story of the year uh, while you've been on holiday, eh? which which Mike picked up for us. But they did lead. a they did a, they did a six month investigation, the Wall Street Journal, into lead lead sheathing used in telecom uh, networks in right. in the US, which is dangerous. It's like having yeah, yeah. This, well, we know lead's it's, bad. It's, it's but like, this must be from like a hundred years ago. It's, it's old, so yeah. it's like bef even before some of these companies were yeah. broken up and took their present form, which obviously then creates a situation. Well, are we liable for it? 
but it's still in their networks now. It's still right. in AT&T, Verizon. How can it be? I mean, uh, and they, they reckon, if you look at some of the analyst estimates of what this could all cost in terms of lawsuits and ouch. everything. So I think... And they, even just replacement, even if they don't get sued. Their, their share prices on the day that report came out, they all went down like sort of 15, 20% wow. or something. It was, I mean, maybe not as steep as that in that some explains cases, it. I've got about 20 quid of um, Verizon. That's not looking too close. Verizon and AT&T went down badly yeah. on the day the report came out. And, um, you know, immediately, if you're the CEO in that company at the time and this happens and then you're thinking about, well, we're in a slow growing market anyway. You know, we've got T-Mobile coming up behind us, you know, which has been going on for a few years now and taking subscribers. And we made these disastrous bets on media that didn't work out. Oh, you know, actually, um, a quick one that's come out this week. Blue Jeans. Well, that's another, yeah. I know it's a little example. one, but Blue Jeans is yeah. a uh, video conferencing thing equivalent to Zoom. And they bought it around about 2000 when everyone, when Zoom went ballistic because everyone was working from home. 2020, you mean? Yeah. 2020, yeah, I'm always fucking that one up. But, um, <laughs> and anyway, there we are three years ago and now they've just written it off. It's just yeah. game over. I mean, it's only a few hundred million, but still. And it's the same, it's not, it's the same in Europe though. People are, you know, look at the, take the UK as an example. Um, you know, nobody's got any money. Everybody's worried about costs. You yeah. know, the operators themselves aren't in brilliant situations. Two of them are trying the to merge, to come from whinging about not being able to make a return on investment. Nobody really wants to go and spend a lot of money on new no. equipment. And Open RAN is a part of the broader RAN market. So if there's a downturn in the broader RAN market, it affects Open RAN as well. And it's never been very big anyway. It's never really taken off. It's, ne it's not gone the way that these people hoped it would go. Tarek Amin himself had been very upfront about that, actually, I think, in the, in recent months, you know, before Maybe he Maybe that's one about, of the things that about soured how, relations. I think he was frustrated about how difficult it was to get brownfield operators to move in the direction yeah. he wanted them to go in. Now, I think some of that maybe is... We got a bit of a sense of that when we went to their gaff down in um, wherever it was. Yeah. Um, when we had to walk totally. miles from the yeah, train that, station. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. But, I mean, some of it they brought on themselves because I don't think they did enough on... Um, you know, ticking some of those boxes that are important for brownfield operators in terms of having capabilities they need to. And they said this is one thing they said on the earnings call. Yeah, what's in it for us? They've been trying to do that. Um, and they've had a couple of positive things going on. Like V, there's a big deal with Vion announced. Yes. When you were away, um, we covered. But I, I, it was reported on our site as an MOU. It is an MOU. Uh, yeah. So, so here's, I mean, they talked it up in a way to make it sound more important than it yeah. is. And here's the other thing. And that, and that VN just but in that seems to do to do with Ukraine, well, which, which presumably isn't going to come into effect till well it goes beyond shit stops getting blown up. Yeah, it goes beyond Ukraine, but the actual open RAN component of it. Because I talked to the the CEO of Vion about it, um, Khan Terzioglu, and he said um, they would not use open RAN really, or they still don't see a, a role for open RAN in developed markets where you're maintaining legacy infrastructure why is there an opportunity in ukraine it's because basically they need to reconstruct the network yeah and there's an opportunity to go so in there it, and it there. basically becomes by default a green yeah but then it's yeah totally but then it's like well when's it going to happen yeah when's the war going to finish exactly no one's going to they're not going to be parachuting over. people in to sort of you know change base stations out armed with machine mean? guns and rocket launchers shooting back at the russians while they do it so yeah um so, and then when well, we don't even know how that conflict's going to go, you know, there's no guarantee that no. Russians will be evicted. So, 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 from it. so, so I think that, and that was, that was one of their main deals that they had to announce in, yeah, uh, the one on one deal, Flashy which highlight. is their flagship, flagship customers one and one. That's a disaster, that whole project. I mean, that's been an absolute disaster. And by the way, and, you were talking about the, the, the wisdom of 
a greenfield, a new greenfield MNO in a developed market. Well, it's not, good, mean, it's not good for the German telecom market because it, they end up then in the same situation that the UK is in. We're, we're trying to, there's a lot of talk in the sector the, at the moment and a push to get the number down from four to three and not have too many networks, yeah. too many, you don't want four railways way. running next to each other. You don't want four mobile networks running next to each other either, probably. And um, from the telco perspective, not necessarily the customers, but... Um, in Germany, it's going to go back to four if this if this works mm. out. But what's happened while they while they're trying to get this going is not. I mean, they missed a target last year of, ha of having a thousand sites in operation by about nine hundred and fifty sites. Yeah, and uh, they've lowered their estimate it's not like, this year. It's not like it's a near miss. But again, it's not to do with Symphony. That's to do with um, site access. I mean, the people, the person, the company well, they blame for it is, is Vantage Towers. That's a stated, that's a stated reason. But I bet reason. you they'll be multifactorial. Probably. So it's just a bad, yeah. you know, I don't think Symphony's really done what it set out to do. And um, that's the bit, by the way, that Mikitani's taken over. Yeah. Now, I, I, I tell you what, he will not make any impact there at all. No. He doesn't know anything about telecom. He doesn't come from that kind it's of background. And he doesn't And he just got rid of, or, or the person who is the expert has chosen yeah. to leave. Now, I, maybe who, who knows maybe things will pick up for them because of other factors maybe the market improves and maybe they start doing they start doing well maybe just because open ran is is you know other things are happening in open ran um that might work that might sort of push push it all in a favorable direction for them i don't know but it won't be anything to do with him it really won't i mean i i pre prepare to sort of stick my neck out there and say that with Tarek Amin, whatever you say about him he was really man. charismatic figure you know he was he was like quite He's a the rare telecoms guru he was he knew a lot he was very insightful he was very smart he knew his stuff and he had um he had a he had a kind of um a, an x factor about him yeah. that you don't often get i think with technical people and in you uh industry. you interviewed him a few times yeah and he's yeah. a really impressive guy yeah and uh I, I think losing someone like that who had his you go to trade events and everybody was talking about him yeah and he's he had loads of meetings with customers potential customers and it was all there was a lot of yeah, there was yeah. a lot of noise about it and no, i think a certain name that just that just catches your eye you know and he's definitely and one you of them. could even see it in our traffic if we write stories on tarik amin they get like a lot of hits just yeah, because yeah. we got half decent traffic just yeah. on the he's fucked off so. so that so that in in itself tells you something about what the industry is interested in and what they're reading about well, so i would say and i'm going I'm to wrap it up here just in in the interest of time um I would say when the overall CEO whose core competence isn't that area takes over, what that is heralding is cost cutting. He's just doing a general CEO job on it. Yeah. Which is okay. And so it's basically a sort of, what do they call it in military terms? A, a sort of uh, organized retreat. I don't think that's the word they talk about. Uh, maybe. A disciplined retreat. Anyway, it was just a sort of, okay, we're not going to obviously throw in the towel. But we're going to find some way of managing down the whole well, situation. I, he's definitely not going to be doing what Tarek Amin was doing, which is turning up to Copenhagen to shows we were out, meeting people, talking, yeah, uh, putting himself we forward, just, just sitting in front of press. Are we going to see Hiroshi Mikitani having meetings with with Vodafone and Telefonica having meetings and, with you and you and asking me, him shitty questions uh, about in, telecoms in, in Copenhagen? Bollocks, are we? He's got yeah. other things to do. He's he's like he's he's managing a whole companies he's meeting with the japanese government from time to time he's got all sorts of other things to be getting on with so no of course he's not going to do that i'm going to call him, not going to call him, him tricky from now on it's not going to get the focus that he got from um Tarek Amin. No. so it's it's not losing him and here's the other thing i think 
it was actually quite helpful for them to have people like us. I don't want to big ourselves up, you know, telecoms.com and light reading. I but you should big us up. Uh, and the, the press, the trade press generally keeping Rackets and Symphony in the public eye a lot and writing about them. And a lot of that was because of him. Jeff came on the pod. Yeah. And a lot of that was because of Tarek Amin. I think yeah. without him, they become a less interesting company from a telco perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Okay. Um, Pierre, do you need another beer? No, I'm right. All right. Um, BT. So the last pod we did before this, a month ago, um, Philip Janssen, who's their CEO, um, you know, contrasting press releases, as I alluded to earlier, we got those press releases from BT going, yeah, Philip Janssen's going to call it a day. He's probably also going to spend more time with his family. It's funny how um, these people, their, their attitude towards their families oscillate. Um, but but it, it it's much more orderly. You know, he, he maybe at the start, he just went, look, I mean, how long has he been there? That's a good question. It's something like three or four years, something I think. Something like that, yeah. Um, maybe more, but anyway, he probably said at the start, I've got five years in me max, and then I'm going to go off and spend time with my yachts. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so he's announced it and he's given him a long lead time. And it's all very orderly. His family of yachts. His family of yachts. There we go. Baby yacht. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there's, there's little Dave. He's only, he's only worth a 10 trillion quid. Um, um, maybe we're exaggerating how much he gets paid. I'm sure he's doing all right. He, though, he's he? On, he was on, I mean, his basic salary is 1.1 million. Right. But that's not including all that's the That's not yacht money, though, is it? So fair enough. Sorry, Philip. Yeah, but but there's the bonuses on top of that. Yeah, yeah. That's where the most, they get most of their money from. That's true. Yeah. But I hope it's not shares. Some of it's Ooh. shares, which is right. probably not what you want these days. <laughs> yeah, BT's but, not yeah. looking. Have you, got, have you got some BT, Pierre? Probably still do there. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I know. I've stopped looking at shares. Yeah, quite I know. A long time I was like, uh, fucking depressing. Um, but um yeah anyway so so that was quite orderly but it was still a bit like oh hello um and then we were, there was speculation about who might replace him and we thought internally the most likely candidate was um Marco Lera who's like the EE head yeah um i then, i never thought that was likely no why not to be honest because i think if you look at the whole the way the whole strategy's gone under Philip Janssen and I don't see this um, leadership transition being about uh, a change in, st in strategy, that he's somehow got it wrong and he shouldn't be doing what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, that's not the impression I get either. Um, then to have someone like Mark Alera there would just be very counterintuitive. Mark Alera to me is more like a kind of, he's not, as a, he's not as flamboyant, but he's a bit more of a sort of Gavin Patterson type figure. He's in the consumer side. He's, a, he's very yeah, much a kind a of marketing, marketing guy. type yep. of guy. He, he talks about, you know, services and all that sort of thing. Yeah, fluffy stuff. These days, they're all, they're all about infrastructure and fibre build-out. That's what they're focusing on. That's what they need to focus on. you know what? I've got a slight tangent. Um, a, an independent journalist got in touch with me over LinkedIn who works for, among others, the BBC. And he's compiling, I don't know if this is for the BBC or someone else, he's compiling a thing on, um, I think he's talking about digital inclusion. Which, you know, you know me, and as soon as I start hearing words like that, I, I sort of bristle a little bit. Yeah. Um, but actually, we had a really good conversation, and he kind of won me round a little bit on the concept of digital inclusion, in so much as should access to the internet, and by this I mean specifically broadband, as opposed to mobile, because most people's internet access is through fixed, isn't it? Most of the time. Mm. Most of the time you spend online, you'll be accessing it through Wi-Fi. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mean yeah. by fixed. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, should that be 
you know, initially he was framing it as a human right, and I pushed back on that. I mean, that's fucking human right. Very few things are actual human rights. Yeah. Um, and that's where you get into, like, you know, the right to not be locked up and tortured and shit like that. Yeah. Um, well, it becomes a human right if they phase out cash. <laughs> yeah, well, there we are. Well, that, that's that's definitely a thing. But I said, while I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it human right, I think it's it's as... It's as sort of important and cardinal and essentially utility as water or power. Yeah. Um, you know, he made the point that, you know, you can't participate in the modern world without access yeah. to the internet, which is especially once we've got all digital everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a good point. Uh, why did I get on that tangent? What were we just saying about BT? Uh, infrastructure. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, so, and so if you're equating broadband to um, power and water, then that's just another reason to equate telcos to utilities yeah which that's what got me onto it when you were saying you know moving more into just the nuts and bolts type of stuff i mean they are primarily utilities i mean they would probably you know they would probably listen they if someone from bt or, or another telco is listening to this they'd be wincing go scott don't fucking persuade the government to turn us into utilities because then that would probably elevate the regulatory burden even higher than they've already got it and, you know, you, you were talking earlier how about how you don't have four competing rail tracks running in parallel when I'm going from Hitchin to London. Um, well, that would probably help because half of them are on strike most of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would, but then, then they'd make even less money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what we do have is at least two and usually more parallel um, streams of um, mobile, of, of communications services yeah. coming into our house whether it's fixed line whether that's open reach and virgin media and city fiber and whoever else yeah or whether that's mobile where we've got four mnos but we know that that actually condenses into two shared networks but that's still some plurality um so i you know I'm, it's a bit of a tangent but i'm in two minds as to whether to view um telecoms as a utility in exactly the same way as water and power um, or as something in between, uh, just a normal company like uh, thing like banking, where you know the 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 barriers to entry of banking are quite low. I mean, granted, there's been four, there's been a stable four the whole time I've been alive. It's almost impossible. But maybe regulatory, it's quite yeah. high. Yeah. But in principle, I could lend you some cash, couldn't I? Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. In a regulatory sense, it probably is quite hard. It's not, not to do with capital intensity or anything. I think it's just hard to sort but of... But it's been like a four, I think four since I've been a kid. Lloyd's, yeah. Barclays, NatWest. Well, is there one other? Used to be HSBC. Well, is that different? Or is that part of NatWest? I've forgotten. But does NatWest even exist anymore? NatWest is Royal yeah, Bank yeah. of Scotland, isn't yeah, it? Is it? All right, yeah, Royal Bank of Scotland. Anyway, th 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 it's been quite stable. Uh, I digress. So... Do we, I guess, do we view telcos more as like banks where there's a high barrier to entry for whatever reason, but there's still plurality or as other utilities such as power, water and rail, mm. where there's just a natural monopoly? There's only one set of water pipes going into your house. There's well, only one set of electrical wires coming into your house. It's interesting you should raise that point, Scott, uh -huh. because I was, that happened to be an event earlier in the week right. organised by our friends at CC Group. Um, in, and involved which is directly relevant to the BT yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, well the BT Digital was there BT Group who we're going to be having a beer with in yeah. about half an hour um, but it was it was a co-hosted event between BT Digital and the TM Forum uh, in advance of their big show that's coming up in Copenhagen in a few weeks time that we'll mm -hmm. both be at so Nick Willits was there um, and he's he, head of TM Forum he's the head of the TM Forum and it was very much 
Have you not met? No. Okay. Uh, but it was very much um, like, what can we do about the problem that telcos are in? Basically, right. it's like the the industry's invested a, a trillion dollars over it's the last sort of ten years worldwide, and it's made zero point nine percent return on it, and this can't carry on. And if it goes on, then then where are we all going to be? It's like something needs to be done. And they're very much setting out their vision of like the options for telcos, and you know, what what are the kind of part of different strategies that telcos could pursue to. I don't know, I'd say necessarily avoid commoditization, but certainly get out of this kind of death spiral that some of them seem to be in. But they weren't they weren't ruling out the utility option. They were saying in some cases that might make sense for people to be utilities and operate that way very efficiently. But but, yeah. but, you, but you also want the option to be able to do things on top Try of that. And, and, uh, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've argued, I think it was the last pod or, or one not, too many before um, the summer break that we've had. And by the way, we're having another summer break after this because Pierre's pissing off. Um, so you might not get another till September after this. But anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, I made a point that I speculated that if telcos such as AT&T, Verizon, Vodafone, etc., had never tried to diversify at all and never done any M&A at all and just sat there and got on with delivering their core competence that their shareholders will probably be better off um and i i don't think that's an unreasonable proposition yeah there's something to be said for just going all right we've tried being cute we've tried like diversifying into media we've tried doing this that and the other we obviously can't do it so we're just going to throw in the towel to a certain extent and just go look we are just providing this utility this pipe of data sorry dean bubbly uh, into your house and we're just going to do that and we're going to get our single figure margin off it every year and that's all our investors can expect and now just everyone just fucking calm down yeah but that's that's the sort of situation that they've kind of en- ended up in by yeah. default yeah yeah um, I mean they'd still be I think the things they've tried which obviously haven't worked in the way that, that people would have hoped that they would have worked and you could say there's money that's been lost on that um you know, maybe the debt situation at some of these companies is worse than it would be because of some of these things they've done. You know, AT&T's move in particular for Time Warner, things like that. You know, they they were they were not particularly heavily indebted. I remember a few years ago, and they're yeah. carrying a huge amount at the moment. <laughs> and and uh, and, and obviously they've spun it off. I don't now. think anyone's lost their job and over so that. The capital structure is different. No, they haven't. No. Um, but I, you know, I, I still think that if they'd just gone, we're going to be utilities. There was an expectation sort of 20 years ago when telco stocks were like, you know, they were like some of the most valuable companies in the world. I think Telecom Italia at one point was Europe's most valuable company. You this know, is around and, dot-com bubble time. Yeah, 98, 99, that's sort of yeah. the period, coming up to 3G licensing, that they'd be the companies that would kind of inherit the digital world, you know, and they'd be the ones to do... Yeah. Um, services over your mobile phone, which is what led to some of these sort um, of quixotic ventures into random other areas. But, but but at the time they didn't seem that way because there wasn't anybody else doing it. You know, it yeah. wasn't like I mean these days you go. The problem these days they've got is that when and this this to me was in the back of my mind when Nick was talking. Um, you know, the TM Forums uh, CEO earlier in the week, um, and I think everybody would have been sitting there thinking the same thing. It wouldn't have just been me. It's like, well, what chance do you stand when? I mean, Harmine Meta, who seems like a, a, a reasonably bright woman at, um, at BT on the digital side, um, was talking about, you know, service development and what they're doing in terms of 
you know, these things that we've came across earlier in the year at MWC to do with APR, network APIs and how that, how those could be monetized and how those could open up new service opportunities for the operators. And But as soon as anybody starts talking about service development and we can we can do something different from the the dot the, from the what used to be the dot coms but now the internet giants you go well how because they're internet giants in it look at their r and d budgets mm. well, how can you possibly do anything these days and look at the, the that cash is better cow, than what their they core do. thing that makes money in fact talking you know, about internet giants what if she went and joined the company formerly known as Facebook that'd be quite funny wouldn't it well, I did use Metaverse as right. one of my subheads uh, in the, my write-up because cool. she was. It's actually not an lot. uncommon like Indian surname. Yeah, I know. But um, it's still a joke I couldn't resist making. Mm. A dad joke I couldn't resist making. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, they've got the cash cow. You look at Google search. You know, whatever happens, even if they just fuck everything up of a given quarter, they'll have like 10 billion f profit from search. Yeah. And and they can just chuck that at stuff. And you know, they even had a whole. When they, well, their when they created budgets are outrageous. Yeah, and when they created Alphabet, they had a whole thing they called moonshots. Yeah. Which was just them throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, so here's the thing is like, you know, the telco response to that sometimes is that, well, there's things that we can do that are more specific and nitty gritty, which is where this network APIs thing comes from. You know, that if you tap into some of these features that can be monetized to do with low latency and all this crap, then there's there's value in that and developers will pay for it and therefore we can make money. But the problem I've got with that is um, we've not seen any really strong examples, have we, so far on the low latency side of things of, um, no. you know, and... and I mean, how... if just, if one more person talks to me about VR gaming and drones. Yeah. So, oh, come on. You know, and... Um, how monetizable it is I, it is open to question as well. That's the other problem, you know. And maybe there is a little premium that can be a chart attached to, 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 you know, to what they do for releasing some of these APIs but it's not and a, having them in it's platforms. Not an ROI I'm goal not really yeah, totally. I don't. I don't really see this as. It's not like Google's just come up with this new, uh, or Apple's just come up with this new. Um, gaming service and uh, and they're release they're launching it on their devices next month and hey presto they and they do that they do things like that all the time you know and Apple TV was how old's Apple TV now only like two or three years two or three years ago you know look at how that's um, you know you that, subscribe got, at home Cat, spend, he's a big fan they spend more money on Apple TV programs you look at some of the actors who are in the stuff they do Tom Hanks and they're, they're big budget productions oh, the, you know, the new can, Napoleon movies the new Apple Napoleon TV. movies and Apple TV that's a Ridley Scott film with Joaquin Phoenix and it's in exclusive it. to and Apple, it's Apple TV, TV. Wow. I mean how can I mean Napoleon that's not by the way I'm, I'm actually playing Napoleon Total War right now for anyone who's like <laughs> It's a Total War is a, an excellent like PC game thing where you you basically manage military campaigns and this one's based around Napoleonic Wars, but it's given me a reminder of how if you're going to do a film about Napoleon, you're not going to do it on a shoestring. I mean that's some pretty yeah massive stuff. Even, even no, no, I've seen the clips of it. It looked great. It should so, have been a Timothy Chalamet though, as Napoleon. He's way too old. Like Napoleon was uh, emperor at 35 yeah, right. and Joaquin Phoenix is like 45. Yeah, he is a bit old. He looks old as well. He looks like an old 45-year-old. Yeah. Like the whole point is that well, who's this young kid becoming... Now he's like, yeah, yeah. he's an old yeah, guy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think we can just overlook it. But yeah, He's a good actor, though. He's a bloody good yeah, actor. Yeah, yeah. So. Pierre takes this shit a bit more personally than we do. Well, you know, he's got, a, he's got family a connections. Brit, a Brit making a Napoleon movie. Have there been French Napoleon movies? Yeah, they're all terrible. Really? 
Yeah. Right. There was a bad Marlon Brando one called Desiree back what? in the 50s. Really? How he is... plays Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> How is um, Napoleon taught at school in France? Like good, bad, neutral at yeah, all? Yeah, as in like... Uh... A lot of people died because yeah. of him, but you know. <laughs> but he kicked, but he, kicked back, he kicked ass. He yeah. kicked some serious fucking ass. Yeah, yeah. The further back it is, the easier it is to look at these guys as well. They were just empire building. Well, it's like the Vikings. You know, everybody just jokes about the Vikings these days as guys with big horny helmets and weren't the Scandinavians kind of cool and trendy in those days. But what did they do? They went around like basically, yeah, yeah. What was but, funny with Napoleon is that he would come in with his army, conquer everything, be like, okay, this is mine now. You, you over here, my my cousin, you're the king now. And then the local people would be like, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. And he would leave, and then they would fuck shit up and yeah. reconquer it. And by the time he got the letter and had to go back, it was like over. And you know, it's an interesting thing. This is a massive tangent, but fuck it. Um, <laughs> oh, fuck it. <laughs> and, and this isn't me just like going England, England versus France. But, you know, our empire, which was more extensive globally, Longer think, as well. Yeah. I think one of the reasons it persisted, just just inspired by what you just said, is I think we're a bit better at turning up. I'm not saying that we're any more ethical or gentle or nice about it, but I think we did a slightly better job of getting the locals, or at least one like um, faction of the locals, yeah, it's like cement, bought into it. Yeah, because because we managed to run a large part of the world with very little land military force at all. Yeah, yeah we had a, the best navy for a while. Well, you were an yeah. island that helped, yeah. Yeah, well, and that, well, that, but that'll be why. Back to the opportunistic thing. The reason we created the navy is because we thought, as long as we can keep you fuckers from crossing the channel, yeah. well, then we're probably all right. And apparently you hired some pirates. Yeah, well, I mean... Well, actually, like my... back in the days of Francis Drake. I mean, that's No, like, but yeah, yeah. it was a little bit like... Uh, yeah, but that's true. Elizabeth Sea yeah, Dogs. My dad, who's a military historian, wrote a whole book called... Elizabeth Sea Dog, Huber Chainer, Elizabeth Sea Dogs. Let's see if I can get some sales on Amazon. Yeah. He wrote a whole book about it. In, in other words, this is Elizabeth the First. She actually endorsed this pseudo piracy. Yeah, yeah. It's all a bit, all the sort of moral and. It's like Putin and Wagner. It's the same thing. Yeah, really. we go. Yeah, yeah it, it's, there's lots of like moral and and political grey areas back in those days, yeah. as they probably still are now. Anyway, but yes, we digress. But, um, so, so how did we get was, to that? So, I was saying that Apple, like, how do these telcos? The example of Napoleon came up as, a, as, as like something that <laughs> Apple chucked there. a load of money at one particular thing, in a way that an operator never could do, and because they just don't have the resources for it. Yeah, as much cash. As, you know, I mean, I mean that film's got to cost hundred mil plus. They're not global. Yeah. They're not global companies. That's the problem, and this gets back to the whole consolidation and there's too many of them issue. You know, it helps to some extent, obviously, to be a China mobile in a market of one point four yes. billion people or whatever. Certainly of course, does. it does because you've you've got so many more customers and you've got the money to to spend on it as opposed to being a you know a, a BT in a in a country of seventy million people where there's three other networks and a bunch of MVNOs and. And Europe has that problem of fragmentation and, and, and too many, you know, too many competing mm. companies, arguably. So, um, and, and yeah, although I'm, I'm on the fence on it in some regards, because. Yeah, well, it, it's something we've argued, tossed about on this pod countless times of, of the optimum number. You know, yeah. obviously, we don't just want one operator running every network in Europe. Um, but it, but even even if they even if that problem was addressed, um, They'd still not be global companies for a start, and they'd yeah. still be they'd still have exhausted all the avenues for growth in the area that's their core competence. Well, and even if you look at some quite geographically diversified companies like Telefonica's got a big presence in Latin America, 
Orange got a big presence in Africa. Um, you know, DT seems to get most of its money off T-Mobile US. Yeah. Um, that's not, that just pure, even geographical diversity doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, go on. been a long, long uh, talk about the sort of philosophy of diversification and whether operators should be utilities or... Yeah. Which I think all came about because we were talking about BT leadership and... Yeah, and and what it was like before. Yeah, and which Janssen, which and, possible strategic direction they could. So, go. so here's so here's the thing. I don't see um, the uh, his his departure um, heralding some big strategic change, which no. very much happened when Janssen when uh, Patterson left. They'd really focused on trying to get into the sports market, That's and, right. and arguably had neglected doing anything. Not arguably, they had neglected sort of investing in fibre. You know, there was this concern at government level even. Um, that the UK was trailing other parts of uh, Europe in terms of full fibre rollout and we were at the bottom of league tables and was it going to affect our economic competitiveness in the future and, you know, something needed to be done about it. And then you had Ofcom leaning on, you know, on, on BT and threats of things like structural separation and, uh, you know, the open reach business would become completely separate and uh, unless they did something about it and... You know, and then we had all these altnets coming in, like City Fibre and the others, which I think eventually spurred that and that and and the re the regulatory threats. I think spurred BT to take it a lot more seriously under mm -hmm. Janssen, and it was it was under him that they announced this sort of, you know, twenty five million homes will be served by full fibre by the mid twenty twenties. Now they're only halfway towards that; they're basically at the halfway point. So I don't see Alison Kirkby, who's been appointed. Um, the Do we CEO. pronounce the, K the second K? Well, I is do, it Kirby cause... or Kirkby? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Right, we'll have to find out in future. But we'll go now... Kirkby for the purpose of this pod. Kirby. Well, I think sometimes it it, it seems like it could be a silent K. Okay, then... or right, I'll call her Kirby to keep you happy because I, I don't. know. No, but way, I could be but... talking shit. I don't know. Anyway, she's she's due to come in in, in January next year, I think. Yeah. And um, and I don't see her coming in and going, oh, that plan that we had to serve 25 million homes by the mid 2020s. Yeah. We're not doing that and, anymore. And we're, we're going back into TV and we're doing new services. Well, and, and back to the utility thing, you know, not that anyone gives us shit who's the head of Anglia Water yeah. or whatever, but let's say we did, hypothetically, and and a big water company announced their CEO's leaving. And our pod happened to be inclined. We happened to be a water pod. It's water.com. Yeah. Um, and we go, oh, I tell you what, new bloke, he might decide that they're going to switch from water to fucking lemonade. Yeah. You know, th there's a limited scope for manoeuvre, isn't there? there is, well, this is this is where, because I had a chat with Paolo Pescatori about about this um, TV strategy that they had under, under Gavin Patterson, and he's more sympathetic towards Patterson, I think, yeah. than some people. But then Paolo has often, he's he's got more of a foot in the media. He, he side, has, and he it? made some interesting points. I mean, one of his points was that, um, I mean, you look back in retrospect on all that now, and it looks like a bit of a disaster, really, doesn't it? You know, they spent quite a bit of money on licensing, and they never really established themselves as a decent competitor to, to Sky in that market. I know they've got a few, yeah, no, got a few matches, but... You know, I don't think it went well. Paolo reckons um, they should have just stuck it out, he, doesn't he? he? It, so this is the thing I found quite interesting. He, his thing is that it should have been a bigger commitment and you can't just do it in a half-hearted way and you, had to, yeah, you have to do it for years. And you have to spend more. Now, the problem I've got with that is I, I, I can see where he's coming from there, but where do they make most of their money? You know, what's their... It's like saying Sky should should try and become the biggest broadband company in the UK and, and build fibre networks everywhere mm. and you've really got to commit yourself to it. 
Well, Sky's, Sky's goes full circle back to our Rakuten thing as yeah, well. Yeah, Sky's nest egg is pay TV. That's yeah. what they're going to protect at all costs because if they lose that, then they're screwed. BT knows that if everybody switches to other infrastructure that's not BT's infrastructure, then they are basically out of business, yeah? That's what they did. They, they, the, the big threat to BT and the thing that will hurt them is if other companies like City Fiber build networks up and down the length of the UK that are well, faster and lower price. Proper market share. And people them. like Pierre go, I'm not going to be a BT customer anymore. I'm going to go to well, City Fiber. Yeah, I don't know if you want to name Fiber. them, but I remember you chatting a few months ago about you moving to some other little alt-net community. Oh, yeah. Is that any good? You're, you're sighing. Has it not gone well? I'm just sorry. I had to leave BT, man. Oh, I see. Right. But it was, uh, yeah, it's great so far. Okay. Well, you've got a funny so, way of showing it, mate. So if they don't, if they don't carry on doing it's it, it's internet. What can I? Say? <laughs> yeah, he can't get too excited about it. <laughs> He's just looking at his watch and going, "Fucking hell, we haven't even got to the final goddamn segment." It's already gone on for about two hours. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that the, the there's no chance of her actually radically changing the strategy when she comes in. Um, yeah, basically. No, and, and which so, makes them seem even more like. And on that note, and, and in the name of moving on to the final segment, not least because we have friends waiting for us in the pub. Um, I don't need a, I don't need a wee. Yeah, I'm getting there as well. Um, Kirkby slash Kirby. So um, she's she's been quite a prominent industry figure for a long time. She's actually a, a non-exec director at BT since 2019. Yes. So it's not like... And apparently she used to be involved with Greg's Bakery. Is it? I yeah. didn't know that. Um, so here, yeah, let's, let's look at... Um, this was written by Andrew, our deputy editor, while I was on holiday. She moved into the sector in 2010, initially joining Virgin Media, then became president and CEO of TDC, which I think... All oh, right, yeah, it's a slight weird chronology. Tele2 first, 2015 to 2018, and then TDC at 2018 to 2020. Remind me to bring this up with Andrew. Do the oldest one first, mate. Fuck's sake. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And then prior to telecom, she held a number of financial and operational roles at Procter & Gamble. Maybe that's where she did, what was it you said? Greg's Bakery. Yeah, maybe P&G owns Greg's, I don't know. And and she's an accountant. I like that oh, she, chicken bake patty. She qualified as an accountant while at Guinness, so she doesn't mind a pint. So she's all right with us. Come on the pod, Alison, and bring some Guinness on. Anyway, um, so, but she's, like most of her telecom stuff in the last decade has been in Scandinavia. Do you know what's wonderful about it all, though, is that it means three of Europe's big five operators will be led by women. Cool. I mean, is that good or bad or neutral? Apparently it's good for diversity. <laughs> it's good. I mean, I think it's good if they're good at their jobs. <laughs> and if they're shit, it's not good. Um, but, yeah. No, I mean, good for her. I mean, you know, regardless of, of whether she's male or female, she's got a good track record. I, I should say she's at Telia now. And she's, so she'll be, she's got she'll be a good reputation as someone who I think is very operationally competent, but I don't think she's going to... I mean, you look at what she's done at Telia, and it's very much been about cost-cutting, improving customer service, infrastructure yeah. rollout. It's She's not going to come stuff. in... Yeah, boring. She's, she's a boring that. person, yeah, yeah. basically. She's, well, she's not a boring we person. We don't know what she's, she's like a as a boring, personality. She's a boring um, her, man, her manager. Her professional profile yeah. is of just competence yeah. rather than She's, she's not Elon stuff. Musk. She's not um, David Hasselhoff. So, he, yeah. yeah even, or even him. Certainly not Elon Musk, or but even, not even David Hasselhoff. Who else was in Baywatch? Heather Locklear. Pamela Anderson. Who would that be, though? No, I, I don't know. I was just, just going, down a, going down a silly tangent. Um, yeah, and, and actually, a safe pair of hands, there's a lot to be said for that. I often think that. I think I said I that. I think that was my headline. 
something like that. Yeah. Well, I think I think it plays it safe with because a lot of people seem to view it as oh, this is a bit of a surprise. They've appointed Alison Kirby, and what a radical thing for BT to do. And it's like you've come around to Kirby. You, I'm just doing it to uh, keep okay. you happy. But I, when they appointed, I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, for a start, she was in the running before. Like people in telecom who who circulate among the CEO jobs, it's, it's like small, football managers. It's, yeah? yeah, it's a small you know, um, and and you. you you, constituency. The nice thing is that you can fuck up a company and be a total disaster. And still be a name. And know that Verizon's going to give you the CEO job a few months later. I don't think she's quite Sam Allardyce, though. She's not, uh, or, or she's even, not trying to save them from relegation. Or even Hans Vestberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who doesn't seem to have knocked it out of the park at Verizon, does he? Well, he was a dis he, he, he basically led Ericsson into a, 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 a cul-de-sac and they were almost on the and verge then Verizon of being went, acquired. We don't care, we'll have him. And then Verizon went, we'll have him as chief technology yeah. officer and now he runs and the company. And Vestberg's more of a sort of Jose Mourinho. But by the way, not to, not to also all the, all the stuff that's been happening with Ericsson in terms of DOJ fines... That all happened under the, under his watch. Mm. It didn't happen when Boy Ekham was in charge. I'm not implying, by the way, yeah, yeah. that Hans Vestberg was involved Actively in it. But he was the CEO when when all that stuff was going on. Yeah. Um, well, it's the same it was Patterson. They had the Italian accounts thing. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've certainly got no evidence to directly link him to any sort of knowledge of it. But then you sort of extrapolate and you think, okay, but... You, you assume that a company culture comes from the top down. Yeah. Uh, and, and was there some sort of tacit sense of, you know, whatever I, whatever makes things work? I don't view him as, as a disaster in any way near the, the level that Hans Vestberg was at, at Ericsson. Right. I mean, the, when he left Ericsson, they were loss making. They, they'd, got, they'd ceded their position of market leadership in mobile infrastructure to, to Huawei. You know, they'd gone into all There's these other... A lot of credit goes to Huawei on that, it must be said. Well, sure, but but if you cut your R and D spend every year and go and spend it on TV acquisitions instead, you're never going to maintain. You know, all it took was Boy Ekem to come Fair back point. in and go. We're gonna we're gonna actually start spending some money on this now for them to start making yeah. improvements. That we, was before the GFL. Our strategy stuff. is to be good at our core thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite a, it's quite a sort of sensible no brainer in hindsight. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Okay, we'll leave it that. So, um, yeah, Alison Kirkby or Kirby, come on the pod and tell us how to pronounce your surname. And tell us how you're going to be more than just a safe pair of hands and how you're just going to revolutionise the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Now let's move on to the final thing, um, which is a story I wrote um, where my headline was US declares Chinese tech development a national emergency. I was wondering when I wrote it whether I should have gone national emergency first. Should I have said US declares natural national emergency over Chinese tech development. Yeah. It's sometimes something we agonize about us journalists is the order of of um, headlines because, of course, with every passing word, it slightly diminishes. So you, you, in some ways, you want the most emotive word first in a pure sort of SEO selling the story. Shock, horror. Yeah, 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 yeah. Biden. Shock as Biden US. bans Chinese tech. But then you don't want to overdo it and be too tabloidy. 5G UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, but that was the headline I went with. Um, and the purpose of that headline was, um, I've linked to it in my story. So here's the White House um, announcement. Executive order on addressing United States investments in certain national security technologies and products in countries of concern. That's not a great headline, is it? You can tell that wasn't written by a journalist. No. Anyway, but um, the, the so, so the... There's several key elements to that. The executive order, which I'll come to in a sec, there's certain national security technologies, which basically means 
advanced chips like you know the the the, the smaller um, God, I've forgotten it. When we talk about the production manufacturing technology, nanometer size yeah, transistors, nodes, and all that, uh, it's amazing. You go on holiday for a bit, and some of those little buzzwords just come out of your head. Um, uh, manufacturing process, that's it. Some of the some of the more avant-garde manufacturing processes, and then the the most hilarious one was in countries of concern, and the whole thing. And this is a long thing. I mean, I'm still scrolling down on my mouse wheel, and you finally get to the bottom. And it and there's all these little it's very legalese. There's all these little clauses and sections and and you know letters in 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 parentheses and all that sort of thing. And and there's a definition of terms. And they go countries of concern. We define at the appendix at the bottom. And the appendix you expect sometimes with appendices you expect them to be longer than the actual thing. This appendix is tiny. No, so annex, not appendix. I don't know what the difference is. Annex, China. <laughs> that's the fucking annex <laughs> so they've spent this whole thing going countries of concern and they go we'll, we'll explain we'll explain which ones they are in the annex, in the annex. and the annex goes China it goes that's they might brilliant. as well have gone China in it um, that, that's uh, I know it's almost uh, like why a, they have to skirt around it like why the whole thing can't just be this is our latest pop at China anyway and but the the thing that the reason I led with the um with my headline about um, national emergency, is I, I actually read through the thing, and it's a very tedious read. And you got blah, blah, blah. And basically, you've got reasons, 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 setting, framing, framing, setting the scene, setting the scene. And then, and then it goes, let me read this whole paragraph. I therefore find that advancement by countries of concern in sensitive technologies and products. So you can see there's still this, this skirting around it. In sensitive technologies and products, critical for the military intelligence surveillance or cyber enabled capabilities of such countries constitutes an unusual which i think is an incredible qualifying term in this context an extraordinary as well threat to the national security of the united states and by the way this is all there's no full stop yet these are all just commas um which has its source in whole or substantial part outside the united states and that certain united states investments risk exacerbating this threat full stop Final full stop after seven lines. And then he goes, I hereby, I hereby declare a national emergency to deal with threat. So to condense that, he's basically going, China is getting a bit too good at this, that, and the other. Chips, drones, fucking missiles, whatever. Um, I think uh, I think quantum computing is one thing they're shitting themselves about a little bit. Basically just getting a bit too good at technology. Yeah, not chips, I don't think, but probably everything else. No, but 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 chips is a is a central part of this. Even though they're not that good at it, they they want to stop them getting good at it. Well, yeah, that's hence hence all the stopping them from accessing. Well, quite, and so that's what all this is. But I just think it's 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 extraordinary for them to declare a national emergency over this very preemptive thing. You know, a national emergency if China's just launched some missiles at Hawaii. Yeah. Um, or, or even Guam or something. Well, the quantum computing stuff's a massive worry, I suppose, because it's the person that gets there first in terms of the, a really sort of sophisticated quantum computer can break any, isn't, isn't it that they can break any encryption, encryption anyway? Yeah, because the processing power exponentially yeah, goes up. Yeah, which means you, you can basically, every, every system will. So there's a bit of an arms race going on in that. And therefore, I can I can completely understand why they would... So do. if you frame all this as an arms race, even though we're not necessarily talking about actual armaments... Yeah. Um then what they're basically saying is it's in our national interest 
for China not to keep up with us yeah. on technology. So we're gonna so we're gonna declare a national emergency. And then the actual thing they put into effect was to ban um US organizations, especially like private equity and and venture capitalists from investing in certain Chinese sectors. Yeah. Now the real reason I brought it up, other than the fact that that is relevant to the telecom sector because of course all this stuff with the US um niggling China you know it all started with Huawei didn't it really yeah um and it it seems to have just it seems half year results were out today yeah i know i thought i thought of that having a segment on it but there wasn't that anything that interesting they sort of done all right wasn't, what wasn't there was most interesting and what they've done in terms of of like how they report results now well, they brought a few more segments in, haven't they? Well, they've buried stuff, is what they've done. What have they buried? The enterprise and carriers together. So you can't see how much people oh, are spending on shit. networks. Well, I didn't write it up. Andrew wrote it up. And um, the feeling is that the handset business has done fairly well after having a disastrous last, last so season. So from, from, from where it was. Yeah. Which implies networks has not done very well, which I guess you'd expect in a market that's shrinking anyway. But also I there's see. this concern about... Who would buy that stuff? I mean, outside China, who would buy that stuff? Not only for geopolitical reasons, but yeah. if they can't get access to yeah, yeah, chips yeah. anymore, you know. Totally. Um, no, I mean, in, in that way, America's um, strategy has been successful. Yeah. If the, if their intention is to fuck over Huawei, which obviously it but they, seems to But I, I think some of this other stuff, they, the things that they talk up themselves these days, Huawei, is all to do with quantum and chips and enterprise and other so stuff. So maybe that's, that never, never maybe that's why. Do. That's maybe that's why the Yanks have gone mad on this now. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the point I want to make, other than to reflect on it, um, I just, there's two points I want to make. Firstly, for me personally, it doesn't sit well with me, and I've said this before on the pod, it doesn't sit well with me for a country to to use its, not so much military power, but its economic, cultural, and diplomatic power, political power, let's say, um, to just say, right, this other country... So America is obviously the world's preeminent superpower. There are other people that could be called superpowers, including China and to some extent Russia. Although we're seeing how that's going, how America can hold them at bay just by chucking a bit of country, bit of money at Ukraine. Yeah, America is by far and above the most powerful country in the world. And me personally, it just slightly offends me. They go, well, these people, they look, they're second, and they look like they're catching up with us. We're not having that. That kind of bothers me yeah. in a, just a pure fairness sort of sense. But in a more sort of qualitative sense, I just think, and this is a sort of tangent I went off on on the story I wrote, I actually think it's self-defeating, a lot of this shit that they're doing now. I think um, I linked to a, a Glenn Greenwald video where he was talking more about military and geopolitical stuff where America pokes its nose into. I think he, he majored on on... Pakistan, but there's loads of other places like Syria, um, loads of places in the Middle East where, uh, and and obviously in Latin America, Brazil's a classic example where over the years America's gone. No, we don't like this bloke's in charge. This person in charge, to, mm. usually a bloke, um, and engineered some kind of coup or some kind of anti-democratic. They've never done things like that. Surely, <laughs> yeah, bless them. Um, and and I think so. You got things like that, and then you got things like this. And every time America acts unilaterally and goes no. Yeah, in a in a Michael Caine voice goes, "No, you will not get good at chips and quantum computing. Get back in your box." 
um, which is basically what they're doing. Yeah. And I just think, I think, firstly, I, I don't think it works. It's like um, um, putting the genie back in the bottle. Uh, and secondly, I think it has the um, knock-on effect of souring international sentiment towards the US. Yeah. You know, where you just think, well, you're just, you're just being bullies now. You're just taking the piss. You're just um, abusing your position. And so I think things like this are a classic example of it. They've declared a national emergency over something as benign as China getting quite good at some technology. Yeah. I mean, why can't China get good at technology? Well, yeah, I mean, the language is inflammatory, but I'm, I'm more sympathetic towards some of the stuff that they're doing on that front than, than the stuff that Glenn Greenwald is going on about in terms of yeah. like interfering in other countries and trying to install leaders even when they're not very democratic. Why are you more sympathetic on the tech front? Because I think there's a genuine concern in the modern world in terms of where technology is going and what the implications of it could be yeah. uh, when it comes to money, social credit systems, artificial intelligence, about um, being exposed to technology that comes out of a, of a totalitarian state. So and therefore, I'd be... I, I, you know, I'd be wary myself of um, of a China that has built uh, an ability to to go and, and basically do whatever it wants in terms of, of breaking encryption systems. If you've if you've helped them do that by selling them a bunch of technology that allows okay. them to okay. do it, and and also the other thing I'd say is that I mean this is business we're talking about here, commerce, you know, and yeah, you'll be you've got to be careful where you draw the lines because you don't want it to get to the stage of well we don't like the way you well, run the country, my, therefore we. Yeah, I mean, they, we obviously deal with oil states in the Gulf that aren't particularly nice all the time. But China is a slightly different case from that. I think, you know, you really are talking about um, a superpower. And, um, well, I think that's the point. Uh, yeah, totally. I don't but, think but, it's that, but I understand where it comes so, from. I mean, you I, use I, the qualifier totalitarian states, and that's fine. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, but we don't mind smaller totalitarian states. No, because they're not a threat. So it's just real politique, isn't it? You yeah, know? yeah. But, but, and then, the but other... then let's call it as it is. They're yeah. a threat. We want to make oh, them less of a threat. Oh, I don't see... Yeah, I totally. But I, I can sort of see where it comes from. And then the, the other thing I'd say is, like, in terms of the actual business side of it itself, you know, if you want to... Um, China's not been very open itself to having the US involved no. in doing things or having European countries. So like I mean, if Strandy well, was here, he'd be giving Totally, and I agree argument. with him on that. You, yeah, look, yeah. you look at the way that, like Ericsson and Nokia, the sector we deal in, you look at where what their role's always been in China, which has never been very much and has been squeezed to the fringes now... They probably kept them in there as a tokenistic thing to do one or two base stations so they can say, oh, look, they've not been banned. And you've got them banned Huawei and they're still in our country. Yeah. No, they, but, they, they play but, a lot of bad faith games. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, I'm, yeah. I, I, well, I, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good um, counter to my position. Um, and I take your point. I, I guess it comes down to honesty with me. Uh, you, know, you read things like this executive order and it's all reasons, reasons, reasons. I guess I just kind of wish they'd come out with a thing going, look, we're going to try and fuck over Chinese technological development because we don't want them to be too powerful. Yeah. And that's the long and short of it. And then you can argue a toss about what the, you know, what the moral or, or even practical justifications are for that. Yeah. But I, I, it just cracked me up. They called it a national emergency. And the reason they call it a national emergency, they go into it quite early. In fact, in the first paragraph, it says, by authority vested in me as president by the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America, including the international... Oh, yeah. And then he goes, comma, including the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, 
the National Emergencies Act and Section 301 of Title III United States Code. So two of those have got emergencies in. So clearly, I think this is you know, this is a slight tangent, but this is something that interests me. If you declare an emergency, then you unlock a whole bunch of powers. This is this this is completely beyond just this thing. This is this is more just how states act. You know, in a war, you can have powers. In the recent pandemic, you know, we were told to stay in our houses, and we fucking did it. If they under normal circumstances, if the government told us to stay in our house, we'd tell them to fuck off, wouldn't we? Yeah. But when there's emergency, suddenly your power is massively ratcheted up. I did go out quite a lot, actually, during that period. Yeah, well, we, we, were slightly, we were slightly sort of rebellious. But on the whole, as a collective, we kind of did what we were told. Yeah. And Not I, as bad as it was in Italy, though, or Spain, where if you stuck your leg out the door... Some, oh, believe some me, some I, I went to Spain during you. that time. Yeah, and if you didn't wear a mask, you were basically just... Thrown under a train. You were just like the <laughs> Satan. Satan. Um, oh, that's when you made yourself very unpopular in La Gomera, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, lots of times. <laughs> uh, there were repeated incidents of me of me uh, fucking up in their eyes. But um, anyway, look, I, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up there. But I'm gonna just, I just want to say, I just think it's interesting. I take your counterpoint, and I think in, in the worlds of real politic, that's fine. I suppose what I ultimately think is who... You know, what right does America have to be the dominant global power in perpetuity? Just to know what's best. Yeah, but yeah, because they're the greatest country in the world. You know, and this is, again, I always have this caveat. This isn't me having a pop at Americans. I'm probably overexposed to America because of all the podcasts I listen to and Joe Rogan and all that sort of thing. But the thing is, well, in history, it's never nice when a country gains too much power when it's only one guy in charge. Well, Who's but, there forever? But then, but then, that's but, never but turned out well. That's, but that's why... And I, back to Napoleon. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but it's... Yes, but that's the thing, though, isn't it? It's like if any country's going to take on that role of we're going to be the world's policeman, we're going to try and impose our system on the rest of the world. And actually, I think they're probably less trying to do that now than they used to be. I think there's been... Oh, I don't know. I'll, oh, I'll bring this up with you in the pub. Okay, but I think that some of the stuff that Glenn... I mean, you look at the stuff that was going on in the Re Reagan era and pre to that, when they were very, very much involved in regime change. I or, think they still are. You know, Nicaragua. I think they still are. Yeah, I know, but Nicaragua is I think now, still are. I mean, I'll tell you another thing, You know, and I'll, and I'll wrap it up here, because this, this is a rabbit hole, unless you've got anything else to say, you two. Um, you look at um, the moral justification for supporting Ukraine against yeah. Russia... And it's like Russia. Who the fuck do they think they are steaming in there? Yeah. And yet Afghanistan, Iraq, lots of other times where Americans have gone in and totally overrun a country and everyone's gone, well, fair enough, because reasons, because 9-11, because whatever. Yeah, but that, but that's, but we're going back quite a way, aren't we? Even with those. Yeah, okay. So we're there going, isn't a current the time, but they only got out of Af Afghanistan a year ago. They did, and arguably, uh, but, and, and they're damned if they do, or they're damned if they don't. You know, if they pull yeah. out, they're they're leaving the country to the Taliban to to, yeah. to to these awful forces. If they involve themselves there, it's a tough one. But what but, I, what I'm talking about is the moral justification. Why, if you know, you seem to be framing U.S. Um, military intervention is somehow more benign than someone else's. And I'm, I'm being slightly devil's advocate. Yeah. I'm just saying, well, is it? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Well, that seems like a good note to end it on. <laughs> we'll pick it up in the pub. Richard and Adam won't know what, what they've stumbled into when we're uh, brawling about geopolitics as we go into the pub. Well, I'd rather have them involved than the Russians or the Chinese, put it like that. Well, and, that and that's totally fair enough. And, uh, and I've and, got a lot of sympathy uh, for that position. But I still think 
I suppose sometimes we're harder on our allies than we are our putative antagonists. Yeah, we are. Partly because we need to, especially as journalists, we need to be the canaries in the coal mine. We need to be their public conscience to some degree. No, but I, but if I look at the different systems that are available, you know, it's it's like what Winston Churchill said, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Democracy's crap, but it's better than all the alternatives. It's true. Yeah, and it's and, it's, and at least with the America, you've got that. It not not might not yeah. be a very good one, but no. Um, no, fair point. Fair point. Okay. All right. I'm going to leave it there, partly because we both need to get a bog. Um, so, yeah, that'll be, just to remind you again, this is a one-off midsummer podcast in between people's varying holidays. Pierre, being French, can't work during August. So, uh, so he'll be <laughs> off. <laughs> Are you going to have a beard by the time you get back, Pierre? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is a temporary Are thing. Are you going to France? No, uh, he's going Venezuela. He's going to Venezuela. Yeah, as you do. Um, so this is a temporary I'm gonna, thing. I'm going to fight with us. I'm going to, I'm hired by the CIA to <laughs> fight the rebels. So he's there. We'll, we'll just be here. You know, maybe we'll meet up. Yeah. Um, we don't have to just meet up for the podcast. We can just turn the computer on and... Yeah, yeah. We, Get we it don't going. need him. We can automate him. Oh, don't say that. We, we, we can, we we need can automate Pierre. us. We need Pierre. Well, we could <laughs> automate us. Okay. I'll wrap it up there. So thanks a lot for listening and we'll probably see you in September.